Well, Pastor Andrews assigned me in this Sound Doctrine series that you're in, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going. I've got eight verses to present to you, and I'm thrilled to be able to do that. So without God's help, where would we go from here? So Heavenly Father, thank you. Speak a word to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that will change our life forever. In Jesus' name. Always glad when people are online. Always want to address that. Make sure you get your Bible and something to write. I know the Lord's going to download some things for you. It's going to be important. Don't trust your memory because, man, life's fast. Things happen. Things will take place. Write them quickly. Make sure you log it. So important. One of my favorite stories is the story of the tortoise and the hare, the turtle and the rabbit. It starts off where all of a sudden they're right there at the starting block because the turtle was challenged to a race. The gun sounds and man, that rabbit takes off like a lightning bolt before the turtle even gets the first step off the starting block. Right away, it's obvious to the rabbit, he looks back, that turtle is nowhere to be seen. And so he takes a look and realizes it's obvious to him early on, this is going to be what's called an easy win. So later on down, nothing fancy, that turtle just decides he's going to take one step at a time, little by little, he's proceeding. So the rabbit sees nothing of the turtle, decides to go by a tree, take a nap. Lo and behold, the turtle steps on through, passes that rabbit. The rabbit wakes up, and he realizes he has slept his way to a loss. And all of a sudden, he gets up, tries to make up for lost time, only to know the race is over, the turtle has won. Man, it's amazing. I want to just talk to you today, not only the message is to preach the word, but also to finish well. We're here at the Apostle Paul. He is writing a letter to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor church at Ephesus. I was just there at the, really, the ruins of the city of Ephesus in November. It's a beautiful archaeological site. It's right there in modern-day Turkey, and there's Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy from a dungeon, and he's trying to prep this young man to take on the Pauline, really, baton. That baton of ministry is going to be handed off to him. And it's incredible because we see some things that are happening. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I want to encourage you right now. If you have another translation, don't worry about that. But our first point is preach the Word, naturally. Let's take a look at that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when He comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word, be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. It's an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage Timothy on. It's interesting, he says, make sure you're always about spreading the word when it's favorable, when it's not so favorable. That old in season and out of season, one translation says, why would he say that? If you were with us last time, we were looking at chapter 3. Remember when Paul was saying in verse 1 of chapter 3, Hey, Timothy, get this, because in the last days, it's going to be difficult times. There's going to be people that will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, totally corrupt. But one thing he says in verse 5, 
2 Timothy 3.5. He says that there's going to be people who are godless. In other words, they're going to take on the form of religion but deny the power that would make them God. Then he says this, stay away from them. Huh. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. It's like, man, that seems so judgmental. Well, it's actually very wise to protect yourself, to be alert. Here, the Apostle Paul saying, be careful. What we need to know as well, currently, we know that religion, the spirit of religion, is going to be very important in those last days because we're going to have what's called that Antichrist. And that world leader is going to use religion to draw people to an organized assembly. And if you and I are not savvy to the word of God, it can be easily deceived. That's what he was telling Timothy. He said, be careful about that. There's going to be that Antichrist. There's going to be that false prophet. And there's going to be that false religion. It's not anything to do with Jesus. It's going to be very worldly. It's going to be fleshly. It's going to be carnal. Watch out. Stay away. Number two, a second point. Prepare for apostates. Prepare for apostates. What does that mean? It means basically a departure or leaving. Paul knows that there's going to be things that happen and take place, but let's check it out here. Let's move on to verse 3, verse 3 and 4 of our chapter 4. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will reject the truth and chase after myths. It's interesting to note, you do find that from time to time. Everybody has an opinion, just ask them. But it's amazing because there's going to be that time, maybe even now, where you have people that are saying, yeah, I'm going to follow you because, man, you kind of, you kind of act and believe the way I do. It's a popular phrase, my truth. My truth is not only popular, it's authoritative. It's my truth, so this is the way I feel it's true, and that's the way I'm going to live. Now, it's interesting. If that's so good, how's that working for life? How's that working for our nation? How's that working for the world? My truth. It's interesting. Where do they base their truth on? Well, it's called relativism. Whatever piece a person feels is true for them at that time, well, that goes. Well, let's apply that theory to your airline pilot, huh? Or to your surgeon, or how about your pharmacist? Yeah, I'm just, you know, you don't need that stuff. Let me apply something that I think would do better. Have to be a little careful with that. It's important that we watch out and take care. And I like verse 2. We were just reading how it says, be patiently correcting people. Watch out and help people. Encourage your people with good teaching. We still want to care for ind individuals, do we not? Isn't that true? People are just, you just never know what they're into. So it's going to be important. But I'm telling you, maybe some of you are just young with Jesus. Some of you are trying to figure out where God's going to fit in your life. I've been walking with the Lord quite a while. And it's an unusual day and age that we're seeing. There are people in massive amounts that are forsaking what they've been told about God. And we have a group that's called the Barna Research Group. 
they do surveys of, about religion out there. And they surveyed what they call practicing Christians. Now, I'm not quite sure how they qualified that. I know there are two elements. One was these are people that believe in Jesus. And the other thing is that they're very active in their church. But 41% of these practicing Christians do not believe in objective truth. In other words, the Bible is not all that it says it should be. 41%. Now, that is staggering. That's staggering statistic. And when you lower the age to college and teens, it elevates itself to 80 to 90% of practicing Christians that feel the Bible is not all authority. Now, that's something, and that is our day and age. You can understand when Paul's writing that way, now, it really is coming down. I believe God's kind of refining the church. It's his church. Jesus named it my church. Upon that confession, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail. So he named it. He says he's going to build it. Huh? I like that, don't you? It's like, man, you want to be in a local church. If you want to be somewhere, Jesus does it. But it is interesting, there's a division that's going on. There's one group that says, man, we are all about the Bible being objective truth, complete authority, infallible, which means without error. And then there's another group that says, no, you know, partial elements, we want to be politically correct. And if you ever bring up sin, that's hate speech. Well, there's going to be some people that say, no, 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 we're going to back off from that. We're going to hang in there with the true word of God. It was never meant to be politically correct. Isn't that true? It's true. Oh, God is so real and so wonderful. We move on to the other point about perform the duties. Paul's writing, perform the duties. We go back to verse 5. I like that element where he says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now, it's interesting to note here, he's literally saying, don't start something and quit. Fulfill your call. That's really what he's saying. Don't start and stop. Don't. Just, you keep at it. You dig in there. You go for it. Don't pause. Now, it's interesting as we break down that verse 5 a little bit. First of all, he says, be watchful. I like things that kind of like help me to remember. Be watchful. Keep a clear mind, he says in verse 5, of every situation. Which means, hey, watch out what the culture is like at that well. Pay attention to the environment and don't stop caring for people. Comes along, he says, be willing. Don't be afraid to suffer. Can you see that there? I do. Don't be afraid to suffer. It does take a real effort on Christians to make sure other people have it good. There are some people here early on setting up so all of us can come on in there and hobnob and enjoy. Wasn't it great? Don't we love that? Shouldn't we just applaud people that come set the surroundings up? Man, love those dedicated men and women. It's important because it takes some suffering to get up, get going, and do things for Jesus, for others. Maybe it could be you just suffer because you're getting up to read your Bible. Way to go. Or you're praying or even fasting for loved ones or friends. Or you know you're coming against the powers of darkness. You take on some suffering. 
telling you, please don't cower back to do video entertainment. Evil, evil is relentless. It will come after you. It will come after you. Be careful. You do not want to have that. Manic depression sets in. I actually had a person relatively recently said, you know, Pastor Paul, every time I really get going for God, it seems like all H-E double toothpick hits the fan, and it's terrible. I just have a better life when I'm not serious about God. Now, what are you talking about? What? You're being schooled into being a nothing, a compromiser. Don't do it. I said, remember 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater... Everybody say greater. greater. Everybody say greater. greater. Greater is he who is in me than he's in the world. You tell that little creepy voice that says, you know, you get serious with God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spank you. Say, in the name of Jesus, you lying spirit, get out of here. You know, he's doing better. He really is. There are things that are not seen that'll come after you and tell you you can't do it. And if you start getting serious or give something to God, then you'll be in trouble. Be careful about that. Another one, be working. Fully carry out the ministry. Fully carry out the ministry. Some say, do the work of the evangelist. Now, the, Ap the Apostle Paul knows he's speaking to a pastor. Timothy's a pastor. We believe in the fivefold gifts in Ephesians 4, 11. But he says, man, you get in there and you tell everybody about Jesus. That's a word for us. It's like everybody needs to know God loves them. Do that work. Fulfill that calling. Why is the Apostle Paul being so like in his face and like, let me tell you here in your grill, because the Apostle Paul is in a Roman jail. He's in a dungeon. And the madman Nero has sentenced him to death. There will be no reprieve. There'll be no pardon. And Paul knows it. There's been other times he's been in jail before. Paul knows we've got the prison epistles. He's been there before. There's been times he wasn't too sure. But this time he knows his finish line is coming. There is one time in Ephesians, Philippians chapter 1. He wasn't sure he was in jail at the time. Check it out. In verse 21, he says, For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live... I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. That old phrase, man, if I live, I'm living for Christ. Die, man, is gain. But this time, it's important. He wasn't sure then in Philippians. He's sure now. And he's starting to say some things that are significant. And I think it's worth hearing for us. How to finish well. How to finish well. Because you and I will have that finish line. We don't want to be like that rabbit and say, man, there is time. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know that. Only to wake up and say, man, the race is over. Let's look here. Next point, persist for rewards. It's worth noting in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, we'll finish off with this portion isn't it interesting? The Apostle Paul knows his end is up. Look at this. For as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. 
The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now there is a prize that awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's pretty awesome. You know, it's interesting. I like the point. I just make note of it. Fulfill called. Fulfilled call. Paul says, man, I've, I've remained faithful. Verse 6, if you were to look at that once again, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering. There's one translation as a drink offering. And any good Hebrew student would understand what a he, drink offering is all about because he's citing it in Numbers chapter 15. A drink offering is the culmination of all these offerings that have been happening. You're down to the last offering. Person comes on there with wine and just pours it on over the altars. There's cinders. The Apostle Paul says, my whole life has been an offering. The day I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's had all of me, nothing held back. I've given everything to Jesus. Whatever he wanted, I did. However inconvenient, I was there. Whatever the sacrifice. And I am down to the last sacrifice. The drink offering. That's pretty powerful. When he comes along and he says something like this, check it out with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We'll throw it up on the screen for you as well. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, talking to Christians here, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, he lays it out there. He's pleading. Now, I find, most find, this kind of sacrifice crawls off the altar. Have you ever found that thing? That's too tough. I'm out. Now, it's interesting to note what a man Paul was. Now, you could tell me, if you were ever told you were going to die, you're terminal, could you say, my life's being poured out as a drink offering? Whatever God wanted, I'm down to that last offering, that old hymn. Here's my life, Lord, for thee, wholly consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's an important thing. Come along and say, I've done this. Now, I'm looking at a fairly young crowd here. Yeah. If you're 32 years of age and your departure date is 40, you're pretty old. But if you're 60 and your death date, which God knows, is 90, hey, you're fairly young, man. Eat, drink, and be merry. So it's important, the Apostle Paul walked so closely with God, he knew when his finish line was coming. Are you there? Do you walk that close with God that he'd dial you up and say, hey, Paul, I'm going to call you home. There are times that are so important. Some people, I've been around a few people on their way out. And some are like the rabbit saying, I've got so much more. I just don't want to go pray. I get resurrected. And there are others that, oh, I can't wait to be in heaven. 
You know, the Bible says there's a time that we're appointed. If you look here at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, literally says, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Or we can say the word appoint. You and I know that. We don't want to really adhere to that. That's why we really don't want to maybe make wills or trusts. It's like, man, we're going to live forever. But there's a destiny, a time frame. And the message portion, not only preach and tell people about Jesus, but finish your race well. There's something that I like. In the New King James, it says, the time of my departure is at hand. That literally means, in the Greek, it literally means to unhook an animal from its burden. Paul saying, man, I am being released from the toils of life. Woo-wee. There's something that's called dying grace. I don't know if you've been around that. It's a sacred thing. If you've ever seen somebody just die with just a beautiful, there's a beautiful presence of God that's there. Maybe there's a terminal illness and God's just given that person time. He doesn't intervene. It's something that's really a sacred thing. I like this one area. I want to just bring it up. I, I thought, man, I've been there at the gates of Jerusalem where Stephen, the first martyr of the early church, was stoned to death. Check out his dying grace. In Acts 7, verse 55, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, he's telling the crowd that it's pummeling him with stones. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then he died. Wow, what a way to go. You can imagine Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's alone. He's alone. There's nobody there in the verse 9. It literally says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. In verse 16, a little further, he says, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. Wow. So Paul, he's needing that dying grace. Have you been there where it's like, I don't think anybody could understand what I'm going through. Nobody seems to be connecting. No one's called, but you sense the peace of God. It's like, wow, there's a grace going on with you and Jesus. It's a beautiful experience. Let me move on to the other point. Finish well and faithful. I like the fact, take a look. Apostle says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I've remained faithful. I, everybody likes a good fight, don't we? I mean, hockey, hello, drop the gloves, go at it, yeah. Bench-clearing brawl on the mound of the ball diamond, yes. Everybody, the Bible says you're in a good fight. You don't know that you are in a good fight. And Satan is hell-bent on making sure you offer nothing to God. That you don't go after anything of committing to the word of God or hanging in there with the commands of God. Be careful about that. Watch out. You never want to really cheat your way into that finish line. All of you don't remember, but I do. 1980, Boston Marathon. 
There was a woman, her name was Rosie Louise. She won it in the women's division. And when she crossed the finish line, man, all kinds of celebration and shouting. And then they did a little bit of research. Rosie, this was only her second marathon. And she never trained. Hey, what, what's going on? A little more research. Well, everyone else was running 150 miles of road work a week. She never ran. They did a little more investigation. She didn't even run the Boston Marathon. She jumped a commuter train, rode it for 16 miles, got off, got onto the and won the race. <laughs> They're really short and sweet. Man, you cheated. And they took her award away. So you can imagine, you never want to say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fit on in there. Sometimes there's people that literally will say, you know, God and I, we kind of struck a deal. He doesn't mind that I'm selling all these drugs. I got to make, you know, my family's little form of income. I say, really? You got a deal with God? So we have to be careful about that. Jesus loves us. I'm telling you, it's worth really living and serving him. But he does even more than that. He gives us incentives. God's word says he gives us rewards. And you take a look and you do a word study on how many times the New Testament says rewards, let alone the blessing. The person's either blessed or they're cursed. There's no, like, purgatory. You either got the whole thing or you're kind of, like, scraping. But there's a lot of rewards. I'm sure all of you serve in the children's ministry. Even Jesus, his own words say, hey, truly, he says, I'm going to just, you can go to the bank with this one. Whoever gives a little one even a cup of cold water will in no ways lose their reward. It's amazing because of Scripture, Paul says, man, I remain faithful. I've kept that wonderful, wonderful faith. Please don't ever say, I think I've got time. I do have people say, oh, when I turn 50, Pastor Paul, I'm going to give God all my... You don't know that. Everybody knows the story of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and fire. Have you seen what's going on lately in California? Got the Santa Rosa fire in October 2017, the Paradise Fire in November of 2018, the McKinney Fire just in August, lives lost again, homes destroyed. You never know. You say, well, I've got time. You don't know. You wake up like the rabbit and say, it is over. The finish line has already happened. God's given us two things, all of us, a purpose for living and a time sequence to fulfill that purpose. And when that time passes, you don't go back. You'll never tell a person about Jesus in heaven. They'll all be saved up there. <laughs> Who uh, No way. So finally, fruit of our service is my final point. It's important when we take a look at that. The prize awaits me, the Apostle Paul says. I know my time's at hand. A prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. It's a beautiful thing to Lord, the righteous judge. And he says something to us. And not to me only, to all those 
who love is appearing. Listen, you want to know you have a crown before you die. You don't go to the grave thinking, maybe I do. You don't do that. Listen, World Series people, they know they're getting the prize. They know that. World Cup, they know they've got the prize coming. They won. Same with believers. You've got to know before you go to the grave. I welcome our worship team up, but it's important that we take a look forward to seeing that wonderful time and, and the joyful element that we have together. By the way, the World Cup's going to be happening in Qatar in November. Just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> Isn't the Lord wonderful how he comes along and helps us? Maybe you're here today and it's like, I'm not even sure I really got off the starting block. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to say, I, I have Jesus in my life. Well, that's, a, that's an important given. How, how can people like, like you and me go through the stuff we go through without Jesus? How do they do that? I mean, life's a rock and it's very difficult to not have Jesus very challenging and the fear that comes over people when it's time for their departure and they don't know let's make time right now maybe you're here and you say man I want to want to start things fresh you're here because somebody invited you to branches what a great church you need to keep coming it's a loving place dedicated to God's word and who wouldn't want pastor Andrew and Whitney as their pastors but I want to invite you right now just to close your eyes with me. And let me lead you in this prayer of dedicating your life to God. Again, if you've never dedicated, never given anything to the Lord, when you come into his presence, it's going to be a culture shock. But today's the day. Let me lead you in prayer. Would you pray this prayer out loud, even if you've done this prayer before of saying, Lord, I give you my life. Let's pray out loud for those that are really making it for their first time. It goes like this, dear Jesus. Let's try that again. Dear Jesus, I hear you in the back. Way to go. Dear Jesus, I believe in you, that you are the Savior of the world. And I confess to you now my sin. What I've done against you, what I've done against others. And I ask you now, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life to stay. I ask you, Lord, Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Not what I want, but what you want. Now, dear Jesus, I trust you for eternal life in heaven with you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. That's pretty awesome. Just before we sing... Let me just ask, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe rededicate, and you're ready just to acknowledge that, that's all I'm asking. Just kind of throw your hand up and say, that was me. I know some people. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. I know some people brought you here, and they're so glad you came. I really think it was God because of his love for you. Anyone else want to throw their hand up and say, that was me? Thank you. See that? Go ahead and put that hand down. Sorry, it's a little dim here. And I, if somehow you didn't raise your hand, do not let darkness take advantage of our weak self-insecurity. That will say, well, you didn't acknowledge God. See, it's no good. God's going to reject you. That is such a lie. Don't do it. Don't do it. We're going to have couples here along the wall that will be praying for you. Let them know. Better yet, tell your pastor. Or tell your friend who watched you here today. Say, you know what? that dude Paul was leading for man I meant it that's gonna be good let me just add one last thing some of you and I get asked this all the time where I go what if I have a call and the pastor doesn't know about it where do I go this is it it's very simple four stages I know you want to walk walk it out you tell your pastor everything starts in the local church you tell your pastor or the pastoral team I've got it a call on my life secondly you say yes to your pastor and you do everything and anything third thing you make sure you stick at it and fulfill that journey in that church do everything because you'll find your call gets defined as you do stuff it's like man I never knew to do that and God starts to download you his power and abilities and then fourth and everything circulates on relationship. Church is a community. Nobody's a lone ranger. You will not make it if this is the closing hours of civilization. Stay in relationship. Somebody in this church knows somebody that will help propel you to that next journey of ministry. Praise God. So, Pradi, we're going to sing. I'm going to bring you back with a prayer of blessing, but Lord, thank you for your word today. And for these seven hands that went up, and probably others, but Lord, we belong to you. We don't want anything else to change. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for giving us your word and providing the power of the Holy Spirit to journey it out. There is nothing of greater value in heaven. You've given it all to us. We sure love you for that. In Jesus.